Interesting guest on the Required Podcast this week, Adam Gordon from Candidate ID. Um, I've known Adam a few years um, from around the various um, innovation, staffing, HR tech circuit. So, um, yeah, pretty controversial at times. Um, he's got very straight opinions on things. Um, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. So a real treat on the Required Podcast today. Um, I've got someone I've met a few years ago when I was on the innovation and investment scene, going around looking at um, really cool new tech in the markets, looking at what in-house companies did, um, as, or in-house recruiters did, as well as agency recruiters. So I'd like to welcome to the show the CEO of Candidate ID, Adam Gordon. Hi, Andy. Nice to see you, and thanks very much for having me in this series. Fantastic. So, Adam, for those of you who don't know you, and you're pretty present at LinkedIn and present in the kilt at every event I've ever been to, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up at Candidate ID or building Candidate ID. Yeah. So um, I started my career in recruitment 23 years ago in 1999. I think same year as you, was it? It was, yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> 1999. I spent three years um, as a recruiter in a contingency business filling uh, newly qualified accountant jobs, taking people out of the big four and putting them into industry, into management accountant jobs, basically. That's what I did. After about probably... Two years of that, what I realized was the bit that I enjoyed most was the bit about getting the candidates into the room with me to talk about the job. And actually, by the time they were there, I wasn't really that bothered about, you know, actually assessing their performance or talking about their CV and their career and that kind of thing. The bit that I was really excited about was all of the talent attraction bits, talent sourcing, recruitment, marketing, those types of areas. So I moved into an international recruitment marketing agency, which is now called Havas People, before moving in-house at PwC for three years. I then set up a talent sourcing business, sold that to Norman Broadbent PLC, bought it back in 2016 in order to fund the development of Candidate ID. And that's what we've done. So we, we launched our first version of our product in January 2017. Almost five years ago, we launched a much easier to use version of the product in uh, 2020 things are going quite well I live in Glasgow with wife and kids and much as I wish the pandemic had never happened you know because of all the devastation to people and companies and things like that one thing I have really enjoyed is going nowhere but the gym uh, for the last two years and uh, my work-life balance has never been better I feel more relaxed than I have in at least 10 years and uh, life's generally not bad because you are everywhere. I mean, anywhere I ever went, you'd end up there and then watching your life on LinkedIn, you're always on a plane, a train. Was it uh, 2019, I did 102 flights. 2018, I did 104 flights. Uh, so, yeah, but partially that was because that was, you know, I'm, I'm from a recruitment agency background and I was trained to be in front of people. Yeah. You've got to get in front of them. You've got to get a meeting with them. And, you know, I really did, I really did, believe that and I think up until the pandemic you probably did have to it was it was important to do that the other thing about that is I guess it was the first couple of years of building a business and so you know opening of an envelope yeah I'd be there uh, absolutely because I wanted every opportunity to talk about what I was doing not specifically my, the brand of my company but actually the the you know what we offer and why technology's changed in recruitment and why the candidate you know, journey and experience has changed and therefore 
why why you need to change the your approach around technology. But I think I think the world has really changed, and I I have we've I've we've brought on board at least forty customers in the last eighteen months that we've never met in person. And you know I I, I don't feel like I need to. I'm I'm going to go back to traveling once it's like later this year. Once the world is back to pretty much normal, I'll probably go back to traveling about maybe once a month instead of once a week. Yeah, I mean, look, I think I think you know I found it for myself being able to you know build my consultancy and you know I started a business with Dalton and Charlotte and I never met them. So you know I think the world is the world has completely changed and you know that sort of need to be it's still really great to be there and to be you know in in the room and you miss some of the nuances but it, it's not a barrier to doing business where I definitely think it was an absolute barrier before. Yeah, no, totally agreed especially with bigger organizations where maybe you've got uh, restrictions around getting onto PSLs and, you know, you've got to go through more stage gates in order to actually be accepted as a supplier. But yeah, I, I, I believe that things have, I mean, and, and the other thing I believe has really changed is, um, you know, I mean, I'm wearing, I am wearing a shirt, but it's like a, a corduroy shirt. You've got no collar. You know, the first time you and I met, you were probably in a suit and a tie. I mean, I might have been in a kilt, but I still probably had a suit and tie above it. I don't know. But, you know, you, I think the best, you know, the formality of all that formality is has disappeared a bit as well. And I think certainly the days of, you know, the recruitment agency days that you and I started in, you had to have cufflinks on and, you know, pinstripe suits and stuff like yeah. that if you wanted to get taken seriously both internally and externally 100 percent um i remember the started crumbling at s3 when um, the san francisco office decided not to wear a tie so um they took a unilateral decision which was panned by london because we all wear ties across the globe because you know when they turned up to their customers in the silicon valley you know anyone who turned up in a suit and a tie they thought they were being raided so you know literally they you know it just didn't work in that environment yeah, I mean, there's de- it's definitely important to dress like you know to mirror your customer. I think absolutely, but if their if their dress code is you know chino and chinos and polo shirts, and you turn up in a suit and a tie, you look like a tryhard. You know, you've changed the dynamic of the relationship. It's not an equal relationship. It's like you're subservient to them, and you've had to dress up for them. You know, so I think mirroring your customer is vital. Yeah, 100%. I think I think what I do in customer engagements now, I, I start I start there and I gradually just, or a little bit there, not quite there, but, you know, and just gradually go down till I'm sort of comfortable and then meet, you know, and I think that's the point to be, to be authentic. So in this crazy market, what are you seeing? What are you hearing from your customers? What are you seeing? And what, just what's your overall observations? Well, there's a couple of, there's a couple of important things that I've seen uh, in the last two years. One has been business leaders have spent more time on establishing the way that they're working and is it really right? So that extends to two important things in recruitment. The first is, of course, where are they working? So, you know, there will be businesses who later this year will announce that everybody's going to be back in the office and back in the office full-time permanent. There will be others which make a decision, which is we're going to get rid of our offices and people can work wherever they like. You know, that's the extreme opposite. And then there's others which will make this option to, to have people work either in the office or from home and they get to choose that to me is the right one 
But then the wrong version of that, which is very close, is you've got to be in the office Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and you work from home every Tuesday and Thursday. That is the that's the worst of both worlds, I think, for me. So the you know the where people work and the shifts they work, let's call it, or the hours they work, or the you know how they split up their day and they get their job done. This is going to be a massive point of competitive differentiation within industries within every industry but especially highly competitive ones like tech healthcare engineering you know those types of industries what a company offers in terms of the flexibility around where and when people work will make a difference as to how they can compete in the market for the very best talent so that's 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 the the first one i guess there's linked to that would be there's been a big shift in the almost the emotional contract of employment. How do I work? How do I want to work? You are the absolute classic example of that. Somebody who was 20 years in a corporate job, going up the ladder, got to a senior level in a big company, and then you went, there's a different way for working for me, actually, which is going to maybe suit my life a little bit better and what I want to achieve and all that kind of thing. And I'm kind of putting words into your mouth here around why you did it. But you are a classic example of somebody who has decided I'm going to treat work in a totally different way. And of course, so many more people have done that in the last two years. And therefore, companies are subservient in the relationship now between them and the employee who they want to do the work for them. They have the power today, not the company in almost every situation. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, look, I think, I think you're right. There's, there's a number of points there that, you know, first and foremost, yeah, there is going to be this redistribution where, you know, company thinks this, employee thinks this, and, you know, if they don't meet, they'll go and find that company that, that, that does. And, and I think that, you know, in, in terms of talent has the, you know, the upper hand right now. It's had it for, you know, top for a number of years, but with all the vacancies out there, people can pick and choose who they work for without the fear of if I jump, it's not going to be, you know, I'm not going to lose out from it. And and, and I think actually we see people moving for big money. Um, I don't think that's the reason they start looking. Uh, and I think, you know, a lot of firms are thinking, oh, I've got to pay more to retain people. I, I actually think they don't. I think I think the increase in salaries that people are seeing are as a net result of people looking around and then finding them to get a salary, not the reason why necessarily why people are, um, that triggers that thought and that emotion. And yeah, I mean, I think when I started the business, my big fear was that, um, so I obviously uh, do consulting um, as, as my prime business. And, you know, my big fear was that everyone would want me on site, get their pound of flesh. And, you know, effectively I'd, you know, be, be doing, you know, that very siloed role. And, and actually what the pandemic has sort of done is people have realised that it, it's about the value as opposed to presenteeism. And, you know, you go back to the point, okay, these big, big companies, typically there's no point going and visiting the big, big companies because, you know, there'll be seven people from seven different areas all dialing in anyway. So you might as well just dial in with them. There's no, you don't have that advantage being in the room. What I do find, though, is when you can get those dedicated customer engagements. So, you know, certainly when I'm in the UK, I'll try and, you know, do as much as I can and I'll book in and I'll see people because I still think those sort of water cooler moments, those sort of engagements with people are super powerful, but they're not the be all and end all. So we've gone from this situation of it was five days a week for most companies in their 
you know, routine nine to five to everyone's working from home um, and there's a happy balance in there. And, and that's a balance both for people and companies. And, and that's where this great redistribution of talent will happen. I know I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. Um, and from, from a staffing agency perspective, acting as air traffic control for a lot of this is something that they've got big opportunity to do, but to make the, to really optimize that opportunity, that kind of comes on to the second big thing that I've seen in the last two years. And that is business leaders have evaluated not just where they're working and, and contract that they have with people they've looked at, is it right for people to be doing these specific tasks or is there a better way for us to be eliminating crappy work and automating that? So automation has started to really make an impact, I think, in, in recruitment. Mm. And we're, I know for the, the, the best recruitment businesses that I know, practically eliminated cold contacting people, for example. The days of doing like, you know, 50 cold calls in a day, you know, those days are not, I, I just don't believe in, I haven't believed in them for a long time, but I think that the pandemic has pushed business leaders to really better evaluate the technologies that they're, that they're using. And I mean, I've seen, I've seen people that have been running businesses for 20 years and pretty much running their company in the same way for the last 20 years, making big changes. And it's taken the pandemic to force them into looking at, hang on, furloughed quite a lot of people. I'm going to be brutal here in what I say, by the way. I've followed quite a lot of people here. Do I need to bring all of those people back or could I bring 60% of them back, put in some technology and actually get a better result? And the answer in a lot of cases has been, yeah, they have been able to do that. And that's not, I'm not at all suggesting that the need for human recruiters um, is going to disappear. I, do, I don't believe that at all. But the need for human recruiters to do things like cold contacting people is definitely a lot less. And human recruiters should be focused on the bit that they add the most value. And that is the negotiate, negotiating with people and the bit that it needs emotional intelligence and the bit that needs achieve, you know, achieving influence. And uh, that's, that's not all the way through the recruitment process like it maybe was, it, was when you and I started in this business. Yeah, the only thing I would temper it with, I would say, you know, we are in a very, very good market. So you don't need to dial out because actually the jobs are coming to you. You know, you, you've actually in this unprecedented where inbounders replace that need for outbound in a lot of cases, certainly around the, the sort of the client side. For the, for the candidate side, yeah, and there has been a lot of automation uh, as well, but still the personal touch really does matter. But I think what you're saying is look, bulk, you know, the bulk stuff, doesn't need to be done by people anymore it's those nuanced conversations those really soft skills that and and actually the bits people like doing which is talking to people and you know having warm conversations opposed to cold conversations yeah that's that's it like the first stage conversation of hey are you interested in having a chat if we can eliminate that bit then you know that's a well, that's bit. an email that's an email or a robot yeah that's a, that's a, that's a, some sort of automation and it could be a chat bot or something like that. If we can eliminate people spending time checking their diary, going back and forth on email to try and get you know appointments in the calendar, 
you know, which we can do with products like Chronify and there's others as well. In fact, I think even HubSpot and Salesforce, they've got you know, diary, diary scheduling, but yes. things like that, the sim simple things like that have been adopted a lot more over the last two years. It's really, it's really the, the time that people have spent actually, you know, more deeply considering, am I working in the right way? Am I running my business in the right way? Has uh, accelerated the adoption of automation technology, which I believe is, is, is just, is really great. I think as well, though, the, the thing I found, so obviously working for a big corporate, you've got your stack. When I started, you know, the, the, the stack small businesses run, they can be so agile. And, you know, for a few hundred quid, you can have a better automated business than a big corporate. So actually, I think what you've actually seen is a lot of smaller companies be able to punch above their weight because they're not carrying these big, you know, this sort of big technical debt. This is absolutely true. And the companies that I see performing best in recruitment are probably not, I'm not going to name specific businesses, but they're probably not like the FTSE 100 recruitment businesses or FTSE yeah. 250 recruitment businesses. It definitely is the private equity backed companies and the, you know, the, the ones that have been set up by entrepreneurs who appreciate the world's changing and how we learned recruitment back in 1999, 2000 is not the optimum way to do it today. That was really interesting. I had a conversation the other day um, with, with someone at a company I might have once worked for um, and they no longer work there. But what they were saying is their observation around people who left, you know, they, you can tell when they left because that was at the stage of development the corporate was at. So they, you know, that was the focus, that was the focus. And when they've built the business, that's their focus. So sometimes it's quite difficult to sort of learn something new. Yeah, no, it is. And if you look at the, there, there are a few very, very big recruitment businesses where there's been a lot of people have come out of them and they've been entrepreneurs and they've been absolutely superb entrepreneurs because of a lot of the disciplines that they've learned in working for those organizations. And I think that coming out of some of those types of businesses, you can, I mean, the one, the one that I started in was, was it was called HW Group, Harrison Willis. Um, which was acquired by eventually Hudson, I think, um, is, is, what it, is what it is now. There are quite a few recruitment entrepreneurs who came out of that business. And, um, you know, the ones who came out of that business and thrived for 10 years are the ones who maybe didn't change things up very much and didn't keep up to date with how things had changed. But then there's other people who came out, you know, 20, 20 years later, they're still thriving because they have been able to adapt yeah, I think adaptions, everything. So obviously, I know you balance between in-house and agency, and you've got a great lens on, on both. So the biggest problem recruitment agencies are facing right now is how they hire their own internal staff. And, and every advisory I have, everyone within the required network, it's if I were to say what their number one problem is, nine out of 10 cats would say it's hiring people that's stunting my growth. So what can agencies do differently to hire more, to hire better? Well, from my experience, one of the big mistakes that agencies have made, which almost every employer has made generally, is they've been addicted to shortlists and vacancies, you know, today's recs. That keeps them absolutely addicted to LinkedIn and addicted to job boards and addicted to sources of who's in the market today. And what they've typically all neglected is... What about the demand I'm going to have in three months and six months and 12 months and 24 months? And they've spent no time 
on nurturing people for the future, they're really on the back foot when when the vacancy comes up. They've got to go and they've got to go and start every role from scratch. And if you're a recruitment business, then the chances are 80% of the jobs you hire are pretty much the same type of personal profile. Graduate recruitment, experienced recruiter. That, yeah. that, I mean, that's the two profiles, isn't it? Graduate recruitment, experienced recruiter. If you're hiring the same roles over and over again, why haven't you spent any time on building talent pipelines and being a bit more strategic and medium-term thinking on that? You know how many people you hired last year and how many people left your organization last year. So, you know, what's the growth you're anticipating this year? And the ratio is going to be similar. You know, I, I think every almost every employer has failed to build genuine talent pipelines. And I think that for a recruitment agency business, that is a big opportunity. Now, what I also see is in recruitment agencies is that they will put, when they come to their own hiring, they'll put like people that are in their business who are good performing recruitment consultants onto internal hiring. And that may or may not work, but the reason it's going to not work is because they approach the job in exactly the same way as they did as a uh, service provider to customers. They just treat their, um, yeah. you know, the employee they work for as, as the customer. But what they haven't done is put any thought into actually what's employer branding all about and how should we be doing that? What's assessment all about? And should we be really you know, focused on that? How do we build talent pipelines for the future? Um, there's a lot, the job, the job of an agency recruiter, successful agency recruiters and successful talent acquisition people, they look like the same species, but they're not operating in the same way. They're doing a different kind of job. And yeah, there's some, there, there's some overlap in what they're doing, but there is a lot of difference in what they're doing as well. And so putting an, putting an agency recruiter onto doing your internal hiring they probably have the skills to be able to do it, but they need to be doing different kinds of activities to do it really well. I think as well, the other thing that um, I sort of see is that that person can't necessarily change the process as well. So, you know, the, the, the thing is, if I saw a really good article on LinkedIn today um, where it was a CEO who says, once a year I apply for it, I, I change my CV, I anonymize it and I apply for a job at my, my own company and I see what the experience is like. And, and my challenge is, you know, agency owners, would they even get, would, would they, you know, how would they rate the, um, the, you know, the experience if they went through? And, and it's a congested market, what, 45,000 agencies in the UK, lots of competition, pretty much every one of them hiring. So how does your process stand out? How do you make yourself different? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really vital. And I, you know, it took me a long time before I really understood recruitment. You know, I, I spent three years filling jobs for other companies as an agency recruiter. And, you know, I thought I knew all about recruitment by the end of that three years. I knew very little about recruitment. I was quite good at the bit that I do, but typically the agency recruiter job is quite specialist. And I think recruitment, can, you know, agency businesses don't really realize that what, they, what they're doing is it's probably about 40% of what like talent acquisition is. And I'm not saying talent acquisition is better. I'm not saying anything like that at all. But but re recruitment agency like objective is maybe 40% of the total recruitment, you know, life cycle. And don't, don't be naive to think that 
going from recruiting for other companies to recruiting for your own business is the same thing. And I would highly advise getting involved in some of the communities that are for you know, talent acquisition people and really learning fast. And there's so many different ways to learn, but really learning what is talent acquisition compared to agency recruitment and, and start to apply you know, a lot of those techniques as around things that I've talked about, like EVP and employer branding and uh, things like that, because they're quite vital and talent pipelining. Talk to me about the difference, as you see it, between sourcing and resourcing. Well, I don't really know what the res- what resourcing means. So, um, talent. So, talent. Talent sourcing to me is the job of going and identifying the total addressable market, everybody that you might hire or place in the future, and building that first stage connection with them to find out what their career aspirations are, or to find out if they'd be interested in your brand, for mm. example. And it's building mechanisms for continuously building that population as new people come into the market. So, of course, every month that goes past, there are more payroll professionals you know, entering the market. So if you can set up filters on LinkedIn and Google and whatever, whereby anybody with a new job t- title that's in payroll, if that's the area you hire in, for example then you've got some automated ways of continuing to build that uh, vi- vision on, on who the individuals are. And then the next bit is, yeah, what do you do to build the relationship? So it's generating awareness for your brand with those individuals and then a bit of education and, and you know, first stage of a relationship so that when the jobs do come up, you've got almost like a warm bench of people that, that you can talk to. Is, is that, that what we're really resourcing? Well, I think that's when you go and resource them. You've sourced them, you've found them, you've gotten them warm, and then you go and find them. That's that's in my mind. Right. Is that is sourcing and resourcing the same thing? It's just called something different in in-house versus agencies. I'm not sure. That's 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 the thing. I'm not sure. And it's one of those questions I'd be a bit embarrassed to ask. So uh, I'm 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 glad there's no distinction. Well, yeah, I, I think I think in an agency context, resourcing pretty much means that as well. But I've got a feeling that a typical resourcer is going to be starting their job at the beginning when the vacancy comes in with every vacancy rather than almost speculatively building relationships with all of those people for the future. So the the talent sourcing kind of approach might start a little bit earlier. Okay, just sounds cooler as well, doesn't it? So so what are you going to see? What are we going to see in 2022? Um, well, I mean, we're middle of February already. So, you know, well, nearly the end of February. So what, what what's going to happen for the rest of the year? Uh, I mean, my prediction is there's going to be more of the things I talked about earlier. There's going to be, so companies continue to differentiate based on their like workforce location strategies and things like that. And what we'll start to see in 2022 is trends emerging on that. So we'll really start to see the industries that are thriving best and the companies that within those that are thriving best because of the approaches that they've taken. And we don't know. I mean, I know what my preference is for where I want to work and I know what my teams are as well, but that doesn't mean for a big company that's the right thing. So the, the right thing and the most competitive you know, way of working on that is, is going to really start to emerge. And this is probably in this second half of 2022. And then further adoption, further adoption of more automation 
within recruitment, we'll, we'll, we'll just continue to accelerate in 2022. And we'll continue to get rid of the most boring, uh, repetitive tasks the recruiters are doing so that they can just, you know, focus on the, the bits that is actually the most fun bits, the negotiating with people and all that kind of thing. I don't think it's going to mean there's less jobs in recruitment. What I do think it's going to mean is that more different types of jobs, like basically technology manager jobs, yeah. are going to, or technology analyst jobs and data analyst jobs and more specialisms around marketing will become more prominent within recruitment businesses. So if I was running a recruitment business 20 years ago, I'd probably have five five business leaders in the company and, and, and 50 people actually billing. I think now my recruitment agency would be maybe three kind of business leaders, 30 people actually filling jobs and another 15 who are enabling those 30 to fill more jobs. Yeah. That's the kind of, you know, mix. That's sort of factory, that factory model. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Manufacturing demand is what we, we describe it as. It's, yeah. it's, it's manufacturing demand from customers and, you know, employers and candidates. And if you can do that with a, with a factory type of approach, then you're much more scalable as a recruitment organization. So, you know, they're, they're some of the things that I think. Um, disruption, further, it's going to be, you know, impact of, further impact of Brexit uh, on, like, where we get our people from. I think there's well, going to well, be... three. I think there's going to be a different type of immigration, like, within the UK in particular. I, I don't think it's going to change. It's going to be as much immigration there needs to be, but it's going to be a different type of. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah... Who the hell knows? We're talking on the 24th of February and it we, looks like... The podcast might not even make it out. I would be, I would doubt it. I didn't, I I said on some Facebook groups to people that were talking about World War III a few days ago, it's not going to happen. Russia's never going to go into Ukraine. Um, and I was dead wrong. You so know, a, a friend of mine told me in February 2020, he predicted exactly how this virus would play out. Unfortunately, I didn't listen to him and, um, you know, didn't didn't put my stocks into cash. And um, so, you know, but I don't know how this one's going to play out, but no one could have predicted two years ago what would have happened. So, you know, I, I know we use the term unprecedented a lot, but, you know, it's unprecedented. I did not believe we were in a world where there would be like armed combat other than maybe purely in like the third world. No. I, I did not believe that like we, we would be in the scenario that has just kind of really started this week. For anybody that's listening or to or watching this uh, in the future, this morning, Russia basically completely invaded Ukraine and started bombing Kiev. And, uh, you know, so quite a historic day. And I really hope that this can be this can be stopped very quickly or else it could escalate a lot. Yeah, I hope so. Anyway, back to um, um, recruitment, because I don't think anyone will tune in for our view on socioeconomic patterns no. and, and general no. war. So um, Canada ID, what have you got planned for it for this year? How would you like to end 2022? 300% um, growth uh, is how I'd like to end 2022. We had, I'll just tell you the, like, candidate, candidate ID is effectively a marketing automation uh, technology specifically for recruitment and adoption was modest growth with early adopters with like real early adopters the, the kind of innovators 
from 2017, 18, 19. And then the pandemic happened and we had an absolute bloodbath. Uh, it was, uh, the, we had six months from March till September uh, 2020, where we lost 40% of our customers and revenue. Uh, so, you know, that was really, really difficult. Um, but we launched the new version of our product in September 2020. And to be honest, we, we learned that candidate ideas for recruitment teams hiring in or placing people in tech, healthcare, engineering, in what I would call in-demand talent. Now, of course, that's changed in the last two years because in-demand talent is truck drivers. You know, it's, it's people to work in restaurants. It's all sorts. So actually, we completely shifted to those that were recruiting in tech, healthcare, and engineering back at the end of 2020. And that was a really great technique for us because we've grown nicely ever since. Um, this year already, end of last year, beginning of this year, this year, we've taken on restaurant groups or people hiring in those kinds of areas. And, you know, they are, they are hiring um, like kitchen managers and stuff like that, which was not what we were considering in demand talent two years ago. So uh, very interesting, but we'll continue to grow as business. We'll continue to grow mostly hiring people into our business as we grow in Glasgow. We are a pretty much work from home business, but anybody listening to this might be interested that the reason why, why we won't just go and hire people any everywhere is because if I do want to bring the team together or individual teams within the business do want to get together, you know, we want to make it quite easy for them to do that. We don't really want to have to pay for flights and hotels and stuff just to get a team of five people, you know, together or whatever it is. And there is another thing, which is about when we start our all hands on a Monday morning, we tip, you know, we typically start with, you know, what's everybody's thoughts on local sport, local, you know, restaurant, that restaurant just opened up. It's really great. You know, stuff like that. And we can maintain quite a lot of rapport because of that. So uh, that's, that's, you know, why we're doing that, but uh, I'm excited about 2022. Yeah. More of the same. Exciting times. I hope we get a chance to have a beer at some point, though. So um, I, I do, I do miss that. I don't miss the kilt, but I do miss, you know, chatting to you, at, chatting to you at airports or random conferences. And you know, you, you've always had some strong opinions, um, generally very well grounded, and you know, really buzz off, you know, all of the things you said. So, Adam, if anyone wants to hear more from you or hear about Candidate ID, how can they find you? Uh, if you just put Adam Gordon, candidate.id into LinkedIn, Facebook or Twitter, I'm quite easy to find. I'm also available at, uh, on email, adam at candidate.id. Yeah, happy to talk to anybody about Candidate ID, happy to talk to anybody about talent attraction, talent pipelines. We've, we publish a lot of playbooks and do a lot of videos and things like that so yeah sign up to receive andy thanks so much for having me i i also hope that i can see you in person again this year yeah thanks for having me on on the the podcast no problem to catch up soon cheers Adam. Cheers.